Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Uh, this morning, this is the last Sunday of our series of The Problem of God. We have, over the last four weeks, answered the tough questions that people have in relation to the existence of God, to who Jesus is, to Christianity. We looked at uh, how do we know that God exists. We looked at the person of Jesus. Who is he? What does he say about himself? We looked at why, uh, why are Christians accused of being hypocritical and judgmental. Last week, uh, some, of your, some of you, you know, was your favorite sermon. We talked, is God anti-sex? That was a joke. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, that was, a, that was really awkward. But we talked, about, we talked about that. And then this, this Sunday, we are jumping into uh, probably what is considered the most challenging argument against the existence of God. And it is the problem of evil and suffering in our world. Why, why does pain and suffering exist? Why is there evil in our world? Why, why are, are, are we victim to these things in our world that tragedy happens and tragedy strikes and we all experience suffering in one way or another? Some of us have experienced it firsthand, traumatic events. Some of us, it's been in our family. It's been in our neighborhood. Some of us, it's, it's, it's daily on the news. We watch tragedy after tragedy. And why do these things happen? Why are we experiencing it? Why are, why are we all affected by it? The challenge that those who are skeptical to God would say, if there is a loving and powerful God in the world, why is evil and suffering existing? Why does it still exist? The questions that skeptics would ask this morning, that is, if God is all-powerful and all-good and all-loving, how can he allow suffering and evil to exist? Has any of it, anybody ever experienced that question to you firsthand? Maybe you're trying to witness to somebody, tell them about your faith, or, or it just comes up. Why is this happening? Where is God in the midst of the suffering? Why isn't he doing something about it? It's a very valid question. It's, a, it's an important question to ask ourselves. How can a loving and all-powerful God allow such evil in the world like murder, like disease that robs us of people, like abuse and rape and terrorism and natural disasters? Where is God? If God is all-powerful and all-loving, he should end suffering and evil. The idea then is if God is all-powerful, he must not be all-loving because he's not putting it to a stop when he has the ability to. Or, God's all-loving, but he's not all-powerful. He wants to stop it, but he can't. But how can God be both all-powerful and all-loving? For skeptics, since evil exists, God must not exist. And we're going to talk about that this morning. First, to address this challenge, I want to, I want to make it clear that this is not just a theological issue. This is not just a philosophical problem. This is a personal issue and a personal problem. Because it's not something lofty that we're talking about that's out here. This is something that directly affects our, our hearts, affects our lives. We've experienced it. We walk in it. 
it's a challenge to us. We've all felt and experienced suffering, pain, and evil in our world. We hear about it. We experience it firsthand. And it makes us sick, doesn't it? When we hear about a mass shooting, or we hear about a tsunami that wipes out, or we hear about drastic and, and horrible things, it, it, it puts a pit in our stomach. It's hard to hear. It's hard to handle. I know as a pastor, I've sat with families who have had family members murdered and killed. I've sat with family members in the hospital as we watched and, and their loved one has passed from a, a horrendous car accident. I've sat with married couples who are going through divorce and there's domestic violence and abuse and all of these horrible things and it doesn't get easier. It doesn't become comfortable hearing about it and dealing with it. It, it sits with you, doesn't it? it? It's a pit in your stomach. It, we know it's not right. We know it's not good. But it's there. And this is something that the Bible continually addresses. The, the world was was created, we talked about that in our last, uh, last series about the will of God and even in the first week of this series about God creating the world, the universe, and he created it perfectly in perfect harmony with full beauty. And in the, in the scripture, it talks about him creating it in Genesis. But three chapters in, evil and suffering are already present. And so it goes through this story of how evil has been affecting the people of God. It has been, been woven into the scriptures. It talks about it in the Psalms. It talks about the prophets. They ask God continually, when, God, will you make the world right again? They're asking the same things that we're asking. God, if you're here, why are these things happening? When will you show up again? When will you make things right again? They've asked it continually. It's in the book. It even tells us in, in heaven, those who were martyred, for Christ's name, those who would not renounce Jesus and they were killed for their faith. In heaven, in Revelation verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says that the martyrs, the saints, are even asking God in heaven, how long, Lord, will it take until you judge and avenge our blood? They're asking the same question. When, God, will you eradicate evil? When will you stop suffering? The whole story of the Bible is about how evil has been affecting us from the fall of Adam and Eve to when Adam's and Eve's children, Cain kills Abel, from the flood of Noah to the Tower of Babel, where the people of God are enslaved in Egypt, all the way down to the king, uh, King David, in his brokenness because of the uh, because he committed adultery and the loss of a child in the in the aftermath of it. You see the people of God and the prophets of God being killed and tortured. And it's a long and, and lonely story of their awaiting a Savior to be delivered from evil. To be delivered from suffering. The Bible doesn't pretend that suffering and evil doesn't exist. But the Bible tells us of stories of it being confronted head on. Being addressed. And I believe through the Bible, through the Word, and through Scripture, that Christianity provides the best answer to the problem of evil that the world has known. That it provides the best solution that is out there 
to address the problem of evil and suffering. Because, you know, the, the problem of evil is not just a Christian problem. The world would have it say, you know, if, if, God doesn't, if evil exists, God doesn't exist, and they leave it kind of there. But all religions and all philosophies have to answer to how do you address the problem of evil and suffering, and what do you do about it? It's not just a Christian's you have to, the Christians have to find the solution. What are other people, what are other religions, what are other philosophies saying about it? I want to talk about that real quickly because it helps us understand that the solution that Jesus provides and Scripture provides is actually the best solution. How do skeptics and atheists and other religions address suffering? You know, a big movement, especially in the U.S. today, is, the, is a new age religion, new age thinking, new age thought, that really finds its roots in Eastern religions. And New Age teaching is a combination of meditation and prayer and positive thinking that uh, if we continue to do that, it will bring us to higher levels of enlightenment because New, new Age religion is basically pantheism. Pantheism is that all is one and all is God. That's their belief. That all is one and all is God. But unlike atheists who say because suffering and evil exist, there must not be a God, new, new age philosophy, new age teaching says that suffering and evil does not exist. They say it's a byproduct of negative thinking and negative thoughts. If all is one and all is God, then we just need to focus on being positive making good choices, meditating and prayer, and all evil and suffering will dissipate because it's an illusion anyway. This is the teaching of New Age thought. So the idea then is if you acknowledge evil, you acknowledge suffering, you're giving them power. So we should not acknowledge evil, we should not acknowledge suffering, we should see them as an illusion and not, not give them power. Sadly, this idea, this philosophy has reached into mainstream Christianity and has been affecting how Christians address real-world issues in relation to suffering and disease, pain. Christians now have a fear of even talking about certain diseases for fear that they would give them power over people. But in the book that I'm reading, that this, this series has been related to it's called The Problem of God, written by Mark Clark. He gives an example. He's a pastor in Canada. He gives an example of a lady in his congregation whose husband is dying of cancer and is in the hospital. And her best friend, who's also a believer, won't come and visit him because she believes that if she goes and visits him, she's acknowledging that he has cancer and therefore giving it power to destroy him. She says, I can't come visit you because this false sickness will gain power if I acknowledge it in his life. And so she is not visiting the sick, bringing hope to the hopeless because she fears that she's giving it power through negative thoughts and negative emotions. That's not biblical, friends. Jesus didn't say, I would come into the world and heal the sick, but if I showed up, they would and recognize that they're sick and dying, I give it power over them. Not at all. Jesus says, I'm showing up because I have the power and the cure to, for sickness and disease. And the hope is, the, is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. The acknowledgement 
of disease does not give it power. The acknowledgement says, you do exist, but I know someone who has the cure. That is what Christianity says. That is the hope to answering the problem of suffering. It's not ignoring it and saying it's an illusion. Let's just all be positive. It's saying, we know you're there, but we have the power to destroy you in Jesus' name. New Age religion seeping in is not Christianity at all. Another view that has been seeping into the Western world and is a part of our vocabulary is borrowed from the religion of Hinduism, and it's called karma. You know, hey, you'll even say it, and pardon my French, but hey, karma's, karma's a bee, you know? Hey, you'll get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. What you sow, you're going to reap. They try to borrow Christian language to justify pain and suffering. Saying, if you're, and the idea is also related to New Age thinking because it's all borrowed from Eastern religion. It says, if I'm a positive person, if I'm a good person, positive things and good things will come to me. If I'm a bad person, a negative person, I think negatively, then negative things and bad things will come to me. And the problem is there is some truth in that, but that becomes a philosophy for life. And here's the problem with karma, is that it puts the blame on the victim for their own suffering. And it legitimizes their suffering as a way of life. You're getting what you deserve, and you have to let karma run its course. In fact, in India, there are, uh, I mean, you think if we've seen poverty, we've not seen any type of poverty like they have in India, where their streets are filled with the sick and the dying and the poor all along the streets. And if you drive, your car is bombarded with people begging. There's a story that Mark tells when he was in India, and he says that there was a woman there with her dying child in her arms, belly swollen for lack of food, crying out, please help me. Take my child, feed my baby. And the driver said, don't, don't help them. Don't help them because karma has to run its course. They're getting what they deserve because of something they did in their past life. And if you stop karma from doing what its work is, they're going to have to relive this hell again in their next life. So allow karma to destroy them so that maybe they can have a better life and they'll learn from their past life. What does that tell us about suffering and pain? That it's their fault and we can't do anything about it. The suffering and evil that they're experiencing is the status quo, and we should not mess with it. And it perpetuates suffering again and again in people and legitimizes the fact that people are doing nothing. Karma is not the answer to suffering and evil. And in fact, if karma is how you approach suffering in your world, you're not really approaching suffering at all. You're not addressing it at all. And in fact, you're living and continuing to repeat the lie the enemy wants to tell us. That, that uh, there is no hope, there is no solution, you just need to allow karma to have its way, run its course, and then everything will be all right. Karma needs to balance the universe. That's not at all the Christian way of thinking. In fact, Jesus directly confronts the idea of karma in John chapter 9 when his disciples, they're walking along and they see a blind man. You know this story? And they ask Jesus, Jesus, is it the blind man's sin or his parents' sin that made him blind? They're operating under this idea of karma. They, he must have done something bad to be born blind. And Jesus says, neither. In fact, he says, sin has 
permeated the world, and where sin is, it brings death and destruction. But this man's blindness is going to be a display of God's power in his life because I'm going to heal him and open his eyes. He, de- he directly addresses karma and says he's not going to get what he deserves. He's going to get better than he deserves because the king of glory comes to bring life and life more abundantly. And he tells us it's not karma. It's not because of past lives, sins, or issues. It's because sin has permeated our world and sin is bubbling up everywhere. But Jesus is the solution to our sin. It's not karma. And it becomes so easy for us to to just allow that to roll off our tongue. And we live by a lie that perpetuates suffering. Atheism, we kind of addressed it already, but I want to hit it home. It says, because bad things happen, there must not be a loving and powerful God. In fact, there's an atheist philosopher whose name is J.L. Malky, who wrote, speaking of God, he says, a good thing, because he didn't want to write God's name. He says, a good thing always eliminates evil as far as it can. And if a good thing is all good and all powerful, then it must eliminate evil everywhere. That's the thought. I mean, it's a good argument, but it assumes too much. It assumes that God can eliminate evil while at the same time giving us free choice. The problem is that if God were to remove evil and suffering at the same time, how would he give us free choice to choose? So when Jesus, or when God was making us and creating us in the very beginning, he could have made us just to be like robots who did everything he wanted to do. We would never make mistakes. We would never sin. We would never mess up. But we would be robotic. There would be no choice to choose him or choose something else. But because of his vast love for us, he wanted us to have a relationship that was reciprocal. That was, we could, because his love for us, we could respond in love to him. He wanted real relationship with us. He wanted pure relationship with us. And to do that, he had to take the risk of giving us a choice to choose him or not. And any time that we don't choose God, we choose the opposite. And the opposite is found in sin, and sin brings death and destruction. Sin brings evil and suffering. And so to remove sin and suffering and evil, he would have to eliminate our choice. I want to give an example of that. Joaquin, would you come up here real quick? Joaquin, if God had made you a robot, you would have to do everything that God says without a choice. So you're going to be the robot, and I'm going to be someone who tells you what to do. All right? So come on up here. All right. Now you have to do everything I tell you. Okay? You, can't, you do not have a choice. Do you trust me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Joaquin, wave to the audience with your left hand. He's even doing it robotically. That's awesome. All right. Uh, Joaquin, say, I love Pastor Josh. I love Pastor Josh. There you go. Yeah, you don't have a choice. I mean, even your delay is taking too long. Okay, get it out there. Uh, hop on one foot. Mm-hmm. Now do some jumping jacks. It's church CrossFit. All right. Okay, now pick your nose. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, give it a round of applause for Joaquin. God, God didn't create us to be, to be robots. 
that we would not have a choice, that we would only do exactly what he said because that's not a relationship. Joaquin and I didn't have a relationship up here. He just did what I told him to do. He didn't have a, a choice to do it or not or to respond out of love. Even the words, I love Pastor Josh, were forced. Is that real love? No. God doesn't want that forced relationship. He wants it to be a free offering, a free choice for us. And he desires for it to be freely chosen. For, for evil to be eradicated, God would need to remove the ability to choose. And he loves us too much to make us robots. In fact, also, for evil to be eradicated, we would have to be eradicated as people. Because do you know what Jeremiah 17, 9 says? It says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. How bad, no one knows. To what extent, no one can tell. Because evil is permeated through the hearts of men and women. So for God to stop evil, he would have to stop our hearts. He would have to stop us from living, to stop all of evil. There would have to be death. It would take death to stop evil. Thankfully, God found a substitute who would die in our place, who said, I don't want the world to be wiped out to stop evil. I, a pure sacrifice, will die to stop evil. I will come and suffer a death I did not deserve to give life to those who don't deserve it. And that man was named Jesus, who came and died for us to take our, our broken hearts, our deceitful hearts, our hearts of stone, and says, I will give you flesh, hearts of flesh, hearts that are soft and malleable, hearts that are open to God. Jesus came and died the death that we deserved so that we could live the life that he deserved. It would take death to stop evil, and Jesus came and died that death for us. Secondly, suffering has the ability to open our eyes to God. When, when horrible things happen, we feel, we feel the weight of the wrong. When a child, when a child dies, when, when someone has cancer, when there's a natural disaster like a tsunami, we feel it. It's painful for us. But the question should be, where and why do we feel these horrible things when someone's life is cut short? Why do we feel horrible? When lives are taken by a natural disaster or, or a mass shooting, why, why does it feel so foreign to us? Why does it rip our hearts out to hear these things? Where do we get the idea that human lives are important or that they are valuable and they should be protected and loved instead of killed, des destroyed, tortured, and disposed of? This sense of moral right and wrong can only come from our Creator who calls us valuable and loved and cherished. That we should have this even feeling and thought that evil and suffering is wrong. When we begin to think deeply about it, the fact that we know that there is suffering knows that we, have, we know the opposite of it. And we know the opposite of it because of our Creator. 
And in fact, it, fe it feels so foreign to us because Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that, that God, when He created us, He put eternity in our hearts. Which means that we were created to live a life without sin and without death, and we were called to live forever. This is why we long for beauty, we long for peace, we long for justice, we long for love because we were created for it, and we were created in it. And when we experience suffering and evil, it shocks us, it's foreign to us because it doesn't belong to us. It's not a part of how we were created. And so we can look and say, God, this is so foreign to us, it's so alienating to us because we know deep down this is not how life should be. And we know that it's not how life should be because God created us in His image with value and love as our purpose and as our drive. That's why, for, that's why evil and suffering feels so foreign to us because it's not a part of our eternity. It's not a part of how we were created to be. When you're looking at secularism, secular atheism, the worldview is that Suffering has no purpose. It has no point. If this life is the, all there is, if there's no afterlife, then this life is about happiness. This life, we should be eating and drinking and being merry, for tomorrow we die. So suffering has no place in that. There is no benefit to suffering. If my life is about happiness, where does suffering fit in? How can I learn from it? It's not, I, I, have no, I have no framework to view suffering in the scope of secularism. But how many of us could, could answer this, that, that we have learned great things, that we have learned our greatest lessons in moments of life when we were going through suffering? When, when we were at our deepest and darkest, we met Jesus. We saw God's hand move in our life. We experienced from, from looking on this side of suffering, looking back and saying, well, I didn't realize God was moving the way he was moving in my life, even then. Moments of suffering can help us recognize Jesus. Because Jesus came and died and suffered for us. He experienced suffering. He knows what it's like. And we're able to see his hand in it. You can't see it in the moment. But looking back, I know I, know I have. In the moments of my life where I experienced brokenness and pain and suffering and it seemed all hopeless and lost, looking back I can see how Jesus walked with me. And at the very bottom of despair, I found his grace and his forgiveness and his love. Those are the moments that we get to experience it. In times of suffering, sometimes it doesn't seem that there's a point. It doesn't seem that it makes sense or has reason but we don't have the benefit of knowing the full story, do we? We don't have the benefit of seeing the end and looking back and saying, that's why these things happen. Or this is the benefit of what happened. I think of the story of Joseph. How many of you know that story? Where Joseph, his brothers were jealous of him, and so they basically kidnapped him, threw him in a well, and then sold him into slavery. And in slavery, he was lied about and mistreated and thrown into prison and forgotten. But God never forgot about Joseph. Because, because Joseph was obedient to God and desired to serve God, God raised him out of prison and put him second in command in all of Egypt to provide for people because there was a drought coming and a famine coming. 
And, and, and God gave Joseph the vision and the clarity to prepare to feed people. And as he did that, people started coming from other nations to gather food and, and eat. And his brothers who lived in, in now Israel, common day Israel, they came down to Egypt to get food from him. They didn't recognize him. But Joseph says this in his encounter with them after he reveals himself to them. In Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about the many, that many people should be kept alive even as they are today. I don't know what evil has happened in your life or suffering, but I do know that God can turn it around. I do know that God can bring purpose in your pain. I do know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and that that suffering and evil cannot stop God's will for you. So no matter what you've experienced in life, God has the ability to make it into good, to turn it all around. Sometimes when we encounter suffering, we can't assume that the reason for it is going to be obvious to us. We can't assume that the answer for the purpose of it is going to be right in front of us. And we can't assume that God isn't working in the midst of it. God has the ability to do it. I believe that Christianity provides the best solution to the problem of evil and suffering. To any other religion or thought out there, New, new Age religion would have us think that we should be living in a fairy tale and ignore the fact that re, of the reality of suffering and evil all around us. Karma would say that people are getting what they deserve and blames the victim for their own suffering. Secular atheism says that suffering is pointless and a loving God does not exist, so there is no hope. But none of them provide the solution to the suffering that we see in the world but Jesus. God, through his son Jesus, not only addresses suffering and evil and confronts it head on, he provides the cure for it. We know that even in this world, some of us are thinking, yeah, there there will be a cure down the road for pain and suffering, and there will be. But even in the moments now, we know the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 28, that says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for their good. All things, not just the good things, not just the nice things, not just the beautiful things, not just the things that we like or tolerate. All things. That includes suffering and pain and brokenness, God has the ability to turn it around. We don't know when he's going to do it. We don't know how he's going to do it. But we know that he's going to do it because he said he's going to do it. So the pain and suffering that you experience even now and today, there is hope even in this moment that God can turn it around. That God can still bring life where there is death. That God can bring healing where there is pain. Because he is God and he has a cure for the things that ail us. He has a cure for suffering and evil, and he's going to do it. Secondly, we know that in the end, God will eradicate evil and suffering. In the end, when we are with him, he says in Revelation 21, verse 4, speaking of Jesus, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the hope of our salvation. This is the hope of Christianity. This tells us that no matter what we experience in this life, 
one day, death and hell and the grave, and pain and suffering that we experience will all fade away. And those of you who have experienced pain and brokenness and suffering and evil has happened in your life and has been done to you, Jesus tells you, I will wipe every tear from your eye. I will comfort you and love you. I will hold you tight because the experience of pain and suffering is not how you were created. It wasn't created for you. It wasn't, it wasn't supposed to happen like this. And I'll comfort you and I'll restore you and I'll let you know that you are loved and redeemed and you are made whole in the presence of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the end, all of suffering, all of evil will be overcome by the goodness and the love of our Heavenly Father. It will all fade away. It will all pass away. And in the moment, even in, in your experience of pain and suffering now, I believe the Apostle Paul said it best in Romans 8, 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The things that we experience now, no matter how difficult, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, fail in comparison to the goodness and the loving kindness of our Heavenly Father who comes to reveal Himself to us. And the promise to us this morning and today is for those of us who are walking even in the midst of pain and of brokenness and of disease and the loss of loved ones, He comes to say, let me comfort you and bring my peace to you. Don't walk away from Jesus because there is pain and suffering in the world. Run to him because he's the only cure to it. All other philosophies, all other religions are going to leave us short of finding the cure to what ails us. But Jesus, only Jesus, is the one who has the cure.